1: Let's turn our attention to the United States. Quite a few headlines, uh, U.S.-centric headlines, that is. The latest development on the shooting incident abroad, a subway car in Brooklyn. Uh, plus, uh, President Joe Biden's upcoming meeting with ASEAN leaders to former President Donald Trump endorsing a celebrity doctor, you might know him, Mehmet Oz, uh, for a U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Let's find out more. Online with us is Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Nirmal, good morning uh let's start off by that news uh, that that shocking news out of the united states last week a man wearing a gas mask uh, throwing two smoke canisters and then opening fire shooting 10 people uh aboard a subway car on the n train in brooklyn I've- taken that train. It's it's shocking really. The suspect is sixty two year old Frank Robert James. He's been arrested on a Manhattan street after a 30-hour manhunt. What is the latest development of this? What do we know about the suspect
0: and um, is there any motive? Hi there, good morning. Well, what we know is the man, sixty-two years old, had been arrested twelve times before. That's right, twelve times, including for possession of burglary tools. ...criminal sex act, trespassing, larceny and disorderly conduct. But he was never charged with a felony and was not prohibited from purchasing a firearm. We also know this attack was planned and premeditated. We also know he posted online rants about his mental illness and wanting to kill people. We have no news on specific motive, but on the face of this... It is a case in which mental illness meets guns, and both are chronic in America. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, in 2020, there were an estimated 52.9 million adults aged 18 or older with mental illness. That is 21% of all U.S. adults. And of those, more importantly, 14.2 million adults aged 18 or older had a serious mental illness. That's 5.6% of all American adults. And of course, we also know there are more guns than people in America, though that is because many people have multiple guns and carrying a gun is a constitutional right. And there is a very active and powerful pro-gun lobby always pushing back against any attempt to control guns. This is unfortunately not the first time an unstable person has bought a gun and used it and it will not be the last. Now this man is in detention. He made his first court appearance and a psychiatric evaluation has been ordered. All right. We'll wait out for that uh, psychiatric report.
1: Nirmal, I want to talk about U.S. President Joe Biden set to meet uh, in the middle of May with ASEAN leaders. Now, the focus is going to be on the rising power of China. What else could we see in focus at this meeting? And why is this meeting more crucial than ever for Biden? I mean, can we expect more in terms of Biden's focus perhaps on Southeast
0: Asia? The U.S. is signaling that it is serious about ASEAN and the Indo-Pacific. You may recall on March 29, when Singapore's Prime Minister met President Joe Biden at the White House, the two in a joint statement said they, quote, reaffirm their strong support for ASEAN centrality and the ASEAN-centered regional architecture, unquote. So we will likely see a reinforcement or a building out of that idea. And we may well see the outlines of a long-awaited economic policy framework towards the Indo-Pacific. The U.S. understands that different ASEAN countries have different compulsions, but by and large do want the U.S. to be present in the region as a balance against China and not just in the military sense. The economic aspect is important. But ASEAN also wants market access in the U.S., and the U.S. is also not about to come back to the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, now called the CPTPP, And that is for domestic reasons. But there are other areas of engagement that can be beefed up on COVID vaccines, on climate related tech and so forth. The White House announcement said it is a top priority for the Biden-Harris administration to serve as a strong, reliable partner in Southeast Asia. Our shared aspirations for the region will continue to underpin our common commitment to advance an Indo-Pacific that is free and open, secure, connected. Normal.
1: let's talk about this survey where US President Joe Biden's approval ratings has slid to a new low of 38%. Uh, it's dropped for a fourth consecutive survey. What does it mean here? And if you keep that in mind, you know, what does it look like when it comes to Biden's future at the White House? Could it be trouble perhaps if he's looking for a second term?
0: He is not going to run again in 2024. That much is pretty certain. The age factor, obviously, he is 79. The opposition sees him or paints him as weak and fumbling, so he is vulnerable on that front. But also we have inflation running at something like 8.5%. Employment has been recovering. That's the good news. Six million new jobs created in his first year, unemployment down from 6.2% to 3.9%. He passed a massive COVID-19 relief bill and an expansive infrastructure package which many presidents, previous presidents, had tried and failed to get. But the cost of living has gone up considerably, and it hurts a lot of Americans literally existing paycheck to paycheck. The Ukraine war made this much worse. There is a general feeling of discontent and uncertainty, and the pandemic has not ended and may not actually end because new variants keep emerging, even if they are not as lethal as the earlier versions. The Democratic Party is also split within with progressives unhappy that President Biden is not as progressive as they want. But more broadly, and this is important, in a time of such extreme polarization, the fact is no sitting president is likely to win over any significant segment of opposition supporters. Donald Trump fans are simply not going to support President Biden no matter what he does. So any unhappiness among independents and even among Democrat voters brings down his ratings. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast
1: episode. Okay, no more. I want to switch tracks to the Ukraine where Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has said that the U.S. will be sending uh, his nation an additional $800 million worth of weapons, ammunition and other security assistance. Now, Russia has since come forward to one of consequences to the U.S. to make them stop arming Ukraine. What kind of consequences are we talking about here? And, you know, uh, will the U.S. slow down with their aid?
0: Yes, unspecified consequences. It's a game of intimidation and deterrence. While the Western alliance is careful to stay this side of a red line, which would provoke Russia and suck NATO into a direct war, Russia also has to be careful not to do the same. This boils down to who uses deterrence to greater effect. If Russia, say, bombs a military convoy heading to Ukraine, but still in a NATO country's territory, that breaks the red line. And vice versa, if a NATO country puts personnel in Ukraine or strikes a Russian military target in Russia from outside Ukraine, it's a very thin line. The other possibility is that Russia sees its campaign in Ukraine in serious danger of losing ground, which would be untenable for Vladimir Putin, and he uses heavier weapons, maybe chemical, maybe even nuclear. Those are also serious red lines and would challenge NATO to react. As for President Biden... The mood here is hawkish at the moment. He has called Vladimir Putin a war criminal and a butcher, seemingly called for regime change, and most recently accused him of genocide. Now, these comments have been mostly off the cuff, and in keeping with President Biden's style of being both empathetic as well as direct, but in international diplomacy, they do not help because it becomes intensely personal.
1: All right, no more final issue. <laughs> this is an interesting one. So we have former U.S. President Donald Trump endorsing celebrity Dr. Mehmet Oz for a U.S. Senate seat in Pennsylvania. Okay. What can you tell us about this endorsement of uh, Dr. Oz? We recognize him from TV, right? Uh, I mean, is, would you consider this like a, like a reckless endorsement from Trump? Is it going to be a referendum on his political power, perhaps?
0: Yes, Trump is a risk taker and fancies himself as an intuitive risk taker. But this endorsement raised eyebrows even among Republicans because Dr. Oz is, to say, the least controversial. Even some reliably pro-Trump Fox News hosts are split on this. And that is important because Trump supporters watch them. Now, Trump is very clearly positioning himself as the kingmaker handing out endorsements. But yes, if some of his candidates end up losing, it could erode his hold on the political process and diminish his clout in the party. That would open up more space for other ambitious people, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, for example, and maybe former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, to take a more prominent position and challenge him if he decides to run in 2024. Which is not out of the question, but there are some who believe he... Trump may actually sit back and be kingmaker and then if the Republican he endorses wins the presidency, he will be beholden to Trump. But if this Svengali like hold on the party is eroded, that scenario falls apart and damages the air of invincibility that he likes to project. Mind you, he can always turn around and blame them for losing despite his endorsement. He probably will. But it is a gamble.
1: All right. We've been speaking with Nurmal Ghosh, US Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nurmal, thanks a lot for your time. You take care and stay safe. The Asian Insider Podcast channel
0: is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us.